Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We ended the last segment of Carolina Newsmakers talking about Brad Crone's salary when he was a reporter for WPTF. <laughs> and I said it was $15 an hour. I suspect it was less than that because uh, I think it was less than that. $15 was probably high. But if you equated it back to 1983 and $84, it was, it was a fair wage. And it was the best darn job I've ever had. I keep teasing you that when I retire, I'm coming back and I'm going to work for Rick Martinez and uh, go cover spot news like I did when I was working for you. And, uh, you know, I work practically full time. I work 30 hours a week and uh, I went to school full time. So it was really a great time. You know, I got to cover a lot of great stories, cover Governor Jim Hunt. Uh, during the 84 campaign, Don, uh, Tom Campbell and Dave Bolick put me on the campaign trail with Senator Helms. So I was able to travel with him. And I just learned so much about the state and the people. And um, it, it was just a great time in my life. Well, you know, a lot of us can say the same thing. We go back to the jobs that we had in the 20s and look at them and say, you know, I never had as much fun. I uh, didn't make a lot of money, but I had a lot of fun when I was a disc jockey at WKMT in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. Uh, and there's, uh, in the late 50s and early 60s, there was nothing any more fun than doing that. One uh, of the great So I guess stories, a lot of us can Yeah, and Go one ahead. of the great stories, I'll never forget, you know, I, uh, Dave Bullock sent me down to Smithfield to the opening of the tobacco market. And Commissioner Jim Graham was there. Uh, the uh, former Lieutenant Governor Jimmy Jimmy Green was there, and I got to uh, get a lesson in local radio. And I met Carl Lamb, who owned WMPM Radio there in Smithfield, AM twelve seventy. And Carl would take a, a cassette recorder with a microphone and go down the line as the auctioneer was reading the prices and where they were going. And it'd be run, John, run, or he buys American or Philip Martin. I will never forget that and how impressed. And then Carl would go back to the station and during the noon hour would play the auction. And everybody in the county almost stopped to listen to what the tobacco prices were on the, on the market that day. And so you know, when you're 21 years old and you have that opportunity to see that and to learn that and to understand the value of those local people in the local market, it really impacted my life from a, from a ability to socialize with people and understand people, but also helped me from a business perspective, helped me to understand how important it is to have, you know, good working relationships. And, uh, you know, I, I just... I, I, I was always struck at how nice Mr. Lamb was to me, you know, coming down a young kid with a Morantz tape recorder over his shoulder from WPTF and how gracious he was to welcome me and to take me to lunch and to give me good counsel. So, it, you know, I, I look back on what I did at WPTF and it was truly amazing. Well, Carl Lamb, of course, is in the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters of Hall of Fame because of uh, how what a great community broadcaster he was. He still he retired, what, about a year and a half ago. Right. We had Carl Lamb Day on WPTF in salute of his service to Johnson County. What a great guy. And uh, 
Carl could make you feel so good and uh, was just a wonderful person. It still is a wonderful person. He is and, a great uh, man. A great man. Let's talk a little bit about the North Carolina General Assembly and what's happened so far. And uh, I'd like to particularly get your ideas on where Medicaid expansion is going. North Carolina is one of about 12 states in the United States that does not participate in the Medicaid expansion program. Uh, a lot of controversy about that. Where do you think that's going? Because they've sweetened the pot a little bit and made it even more attractive. They really we're going the, the American Recovery, the American Recovery Act that was passed uh, just recently by President Biden and and the Democrat Senate and Congress uh, has put I think about four billion dollars on the table over the next three years to incentivize uh, our state legislature to find some type of compromise plan between the governor and uh, the conservative element of the Republican Party running the legislature. And, you know, can we pass that up? There has been some discussion that I understand, Don, is that Republicans are willing to take the money over the next 36 to 48 months and then work with the provider community after that on figuring out how the 90-10 split, the 90% federal, 10% split with the state would work. So basically it would be... Um, a clawback so that the state's not on the hook in the event that the money dries up after 48 months, that the state's not on the hook for an additional $1.1, $1.3 billion a year for uh, Medicaid coverage. And I can understand that from the Republican perspective. You look at the state's ledger, and it is probably the strongest ledger that I have seen in North Carolina since Jim Hunt uh, took office in 1993 when Jim Martin left office uh, in January of 1993. Uh, the state's sitting on about $4.4, $4.5 billion in cash reserves. And uh, they are, as you mentioned earlier in the show, they're, they're flush with cash. So how do you get to the point where you're going to have Medicaid expansion? That's the big question that they've got to come to. The Democrats want uh, basically some type of value-based care model, and the Republicans are, are more interested perhaps in a model that you're seeing develop down in the Charlotte area, in particular in Union County, utilizing your primary care physicians, uh, private physicians, setting up networks to serve uh, those working families, those patients who make too much money to qualify for Medicaid, but they can't afford to do a regular health insurance premium, much less a copay with their employer. So there's some innovative models. Uh, Donnie Lambeth from, from Wake Forest University, the former CEO for the hospital there, serving in the legislature now, he's been very aggressive. Dr. Greg Murphy, before he went to Congress, had been working on a similar plan. So it's gotta be provider focused. I think it, it, the Republicans want a free market system. They're not looking for, um, you know, a, a system where patients don't have choices and they're in competition. Um, so they're looking for, for innovative programs. I think we will get there. I don't know if the Democrats and the governor are going to be very happy with the, the final product. But at the end of the day, I think you will get there. It'll be 
uh, driven by the primary care physician network across the state and uh, the hospital uh, providers. We've already moved to Medicaid capitation, Medicaid managed care. That has been going very, uh, very good. Centene, Blue Cross Blue Shield, probably the two largest single Medicaid HMO providers. So in con you, you take this in contrast to what you saw in 2006 and 2010 when the Democrats were managing the state Medicaid program. When I'll never forget when Pat McCrory entered office in, in 2013, he encountered uh, almost a $3 billion deficit almost $4 billion deficit in our Medicaid program. So Art Pope and, and the legislative leadership went to work uh, real quick on balancing out that, that uh, deficit and did a really good job in cleaning it up. And so now Nelson Dollar is another legislative leader who worked diligently to streamline Medicaid and to ensure that, they, that, that the legislature could handle the growth that came out of the program because of population growth and demand, as well as anticipating costs for the program. And so now you've got all this extra money. I think you're going to see movement. I think it'll be market driven. So that may not necessarily satisfy uh, the liberal Democrats in serving in the General Assembly. I don't even know if Cooper's willing to accept that type of compromise, but I think that's what will be offered to them uh, as a solution for Medicaid expansion. Well, it is with almost all things, a lot of this medical care is being, is already there. Somebody else is paying for it in a different way. So in many cases, we're just deciding who pays for some of this. Very few people uh, that uh, would benefit from the Medicaid expansion are doing without some form of health care. Absolutely. But and it's being supported by uh, hospitals and, and, and other budgets. Uh, right, uncompensated care with the hospitals, you know, almost 20% of our state population is uninsured. So yeah. when they do access coverage, uh, you and I are paying for it as private insurance holders. Uh, Medicare is paying for it and uh, Medicaid's paying for it. Uh, we, we all end up paying for it by not, you know, when we have a high population. So the, the president has addressed it Two, by opening up enrollment in the Affordable Care Act and strengthening the local marketplaces for the Affordable Care Act. So hopefully that'll drive more and more patients and consumers uh, to the uh, Obamacare as a model for care too. And I think if we can get Medicaid expansion, and I know the Republicans really do not like calling it Medicaid expansion, so if they can figure out some, you know, marketing name that they can call it to bring in more people uh, as a state will be healthier. Our public health infrastructure will be better off. And a as a whole, I think our quality of life will improve. <clears throat> Change the subject a little bit. There's been a lot of a number of bills introduced concern, concern, concerning trans uh, transgender matters. Uh, do any of these bills uh, have any legs? Or are they going to pass? I'm sure they will be. If they do, they will probably be vetoed. Senator Pre uh, President Pro Tem of the state Senate, Bill Berger, signaled on Wednesday of this week 
that he really didn't have any appetite to go back down that road. I think both the Democrats and the Republicans remember the self-inflicted wounds that we saw from uh, House Bill 2, the, the hurt that it caused and the uh, emotional hurt and the business economic hurt that we saw from trying to get into uh, the private lives of maybe uh, 40,000, 50,000 of our citizens in the state of North Carolina. <clears throat> Don, I think we need to focus more on loving people and helping people and not worried about uh, whether or not they're transgendered. The transgendered people that I know, I would never suspect that they were of another sex. And uh, they are integrating into the community. They're part of our community. We need to open them and we need to love them as, as uh, the Christians, the, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Islamic, um, we need to love all our fellow human beings and stop this process of trying to identify people based on how they identify uh, and how they're oriented sexually. It's not productive for us. It's not good public policy. And it, it's just a, a, a case of fringe groups trying to rev up um, public angst and anxiety, uh, and it's just not productive for our state. So I don't think we'll see any type of movement along those lines. Uh, we have to move forward. North Carolina has always, throughout our history, been a progressive state, whether it's led by Democrats or Republicans. We've been willing to move forward, and I think that's the type of path that we've got to continue to go down. It's not productive for us, and uh, we can get so much more with uh, loving each other rather than trying to uh, have legislation that forces hate against each other. And as you said, uh, the uh, speaker, uh, the president pro tem has indicated it's not going anywhere, so uh, I, I wanted to bring that up mainly for that reason. We'll be back with another segment, a final segment with Brad Crone, right after these messages. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
Welcome back to our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this week. A reminder that this program in some areas is uh, carried on a half hour version. And if you are in those areas across the state, I think we have about 40 affiliates that carry this program. Uh, if you happen to be listening to one of those stations that carries only the half hour version, uh, you can uh, go online and hear the other two segments because Jason Kong will put them there by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that because the entire broadcast will be there as well without the commercials, as a matter of fact. So it takes about 45 minutes to listen to the entire program. Our guest this week is Brad Cron, and uh, we've had Brad on, I don't know how many times you've been on the show. Brad, of course, as we talked about earlier in the program, was a, uh, he started his career by being a afternoon news reporter for WPTF. And uh, I think we paid him uh, maybe, I, I really need to go back, but I suspect it was about $8 an hour. Yeah, that was about you, it. May have, like, you may have been overpaid at that point in time, but, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, Brad has gone on and, uh, has distinguished himself with an outstanding career, both as a political consultant and also as a, uh, a uh, guest panelist, not only this program, but uh, on a number of other programs. Brad, uh, let's, let's uh, sort of recap, if you would, uh, where we stand, uh, the priorities and challenges that the Biden administration has for the next, uh, and you can watch the clock, and I'd like for you to spend about half the time talking about the uh, national situation priorities and the challenges that the Biden administration has in the next three to six months. And then if you would uh, then turn around and do the same thing for the state of North Carolina and where the General Assembly may be taking the, the state of North Carolina during the next uh, three to six months. Well, I think bringing stability has been the most important component of the job performance of our president. Uh, Biden had the training as vice president for eight years. He'd been in the United States Senate for almost 30 years uh, before he became uh, vice president. And what we, we aren't governing or making policy or dictates by Twitter anymore. The fact that it's not an up or down uh, news cycle based on the tantrums and the personal dislikes or the, the Twitter fights that we former president would engage in on a regular basis. I, I reckon I'm saying that it's a whole lot less drama uh, with President Biden than what we saw in the last administration. And I think American voters sort of got fatigued, uh, in particular during the, the height of the coronavirus outbreak of just all the, the hijinks and the, the hoopla that you would see uh, coming out of the uh, Trump administration. And President himself personally, while many people liked his policies, they just had a personal disdain for his personality. Uh, and in New York, I'm going, you stab me, I'm going to shoot you. So um, I think calming down that has been an, an important job that the president has done. Uh, laying out the uh, American uh, Reform Act, the, the Jobs Act that they passed, re, re, basically the Recovery Act for the third tranche of uh, COVID-19 response money. You know, it was huge, $1.9 trillion. So over the course of almost a year, we've seen nearly 
$3.9 trillion injected into the United States economy. That's been very important. So the next steps that the president's working on will be infrastructure. And, and he has proposed a huge infrastructure bill and the, almost $1.8 trillion there. And the Republicans have countered offered, I believe Shelley Moore Capito, the senator from West Virginia, countered offered with a 600 to 800 million, uh, excuse me, 600 to 800 billion dollar infrastructure plan that uh, is beginning to make its way. So over the summer, as we, as we head into the summer, the key things, elements that I'm seeing out of the Biden administration are really continuing to, to get COVID under control, get us to herd immunity, get as many shots into the arms of the American people, address the concerns when it comes to specific communities, whether it's rural, whether it's minority, uh, underserved, low-income communities that may have more uh, hesitancy when it comes to getting the vaccine, confronting that and enlisting and, and community leaders and influentials to help increase the amount of people who are getting uh, the vaccine. Get the infrastructure bill passed, have a pay-go, pay-as-you-go process. So you got, you got to have a payment. We can't continue to run up the meter uh, when it comes to deficit spending. So they're going to have to figure out how they're going to pay for it. And more than likely, that's going to be a tax increase on corporations uh, rescinding the Trump tax that was passed in 2017. Then um, the, the next real step I see is building more credibility with uh, our European partners, the NATO, our defense partners, and, and having the willingness, Don, to stand up to the Chinese when it comes to the protection of Taiwan and when it comes to American markets and in particular to intellectual property. And the, the Chinese announced two weeks ago that they were on par with us economically. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I will tell you this, they're very close. And I've been working uh, with the international company and when their uh, man top management comes in from Great Britain, it is very interesting for me to listen to them on their perceptions about uh, the United States place in the world today and uh, how much damage uh, we incurred over the last four years uh, from a reputational standpoint with a, a policy of go it alone, America first. And uh, Europe really does see us as a trading partner and they want to work with the United States uh, from a defense and economic structure to be able to, to deal with your growing economies in India and in China. So I think those will be the real issues the, the final thing I see from the president is going to be getting us out of Afghanistan and holding some type of posture uh, from a security standpoint at Bagram Air Force Base and making sure that the ghost wars can continue through CIA operations and that you hold the Taliban in check with the threat that if you get out of line, we still have resources here where we can get to. So those will be the elements at the federal level. At the state level, we've got to get a budget passed. The governor submitted a budget. The legislature's working both the Appropriations Committee and the Finance Committees at the state legislature. We're in full speed. We're coming up to the first week of, of May next week, and uh, I think you'll see the legislature start rolling out proposals bit by bit. 
in regards to teacher pay, the state employees, uh, infrastructure investment. The governor proposed a, a three to four billion dollar bond to be used for our community colleges and for a university system, as well as for some road construction. I don't necessarily see that going very far with the legislature. The Senate President Pro Tem, Phil Berger, feels very strongly that we have a cash position where we can pay as you go with a 600 to $800 million investment over the next five or six years. And one of the arguments he says from a stability standpoint, there aren't enough contractors in the state to manage you know, $3 billion boom in construction. Uh, the governor's position is if we're going to bar, is now a good time to bar simply because of the interest rates that are out there. And as you know, dating all the way back to 1841, when John Motley Moorhead was our governor, we have never defaulted on any uh, bonded indebtedness in the state of North Carolina. And the only bonded indebtedness we hold right now is the 2016 bond that passed under Governor Pat McCrory, the Connect NC bond, which put a lot of money into our university system, building fund, and into the community college and the National Guard. So I think the legislature gets out of town with the budget passed, hopefully by late June, if not right around the July 4th holiday. They take a break, go on vacation, go to their seminars, and then come back probably mid to late September and work on redistricting. And uh, the redistricting is going to be a really interesting fight simply because the legislature has said we're going to follow the same rules that we did in 2019 after the joint commission by the three uh, judge panel of superior court judges uh, ruled with, with the state Supreme Court holding them up uh, that overturned the Republican maps that were drawn in 2014. So I think the Republicans have learned their lesson when it comes to drawing the maps. I hope, I think that it will be a much fairer process, much more open process on the redistricting both parties are going to be super engaged when it comes to redistricting simply because there's so much on the line. And the Republicans clearly, with the Supreme Court Chief Justice now, have an advantage going into the redistricting fight because if there is legal uh, litigation as a result of redistricting, then the Supreme Court Chief Justice can set the calendar. So you could actually have elections in 2022 without any type of significant legal challenge uh, coming prior to the general election. So that gives a roadmap for the Republicans if they want to, they have the ability to draw a map at the legislative level that helps them get back to supermajority stats. So that's the one thing that the Democrats will clearly be paying attention to. And then uh, uh, the other issue uh, when it comes to redistricting, Don's, what happens at the county level with the county commissions in all 100 counties, and then also at the municipal level? And as you know, our municipal elections have been delayed because the larger cities such as Charlotte, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, uh, Raleigh, Durham, those cities that have districted uh, councils don't have the election data to move on. So they will be getting the data in the cities and the counties will be moving on districts too. So the fourth quarter, when it comes to voting rights in the state, is going to be really, really interesting. Um, and the last thing that I'll, I'll bring up is the uh, voting rights issues. I know several of your guests, uh, our good friend Bob Phillips has been following that and what impacts will be made there from a legislative standpoint 
when it comes to early voting, when it comes to voter registration, when it comes to voter identification here in the state of North Carolina. So those will be the real big issues coming up in the third and fourth quarter uh, for the state of North Carolina. So a lot, it is just a, a volume of fire hose of public policy initiatives from budgets to education, to infrastructure spending, to voting rights going on in our state right now. Well, uh, Brad, thank you so much for that uh, insight, uh, both on the national level and the state level. Uh, we always appreciate hearing from you and getting the, uh, your perspective because it uh, adds to our knowledge of what we can look for. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on the same grid for stations all across North Carolina. And if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com. So until next week, same time, the same group of stations. I hope that you and yours have a very, very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.